Hello, welcome to Utopia Terrier. Stephen Chicken here alongside... Uh, wait a minute, you're not David Hartrick. It's Matthew Shaw, everyone. How are you doing, Matt? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, just to explain, Dave uh, is unfortunately unwell, so he's unable to join us for this week's episode. Uh, but obviously, we didn't want to leave you hanging without a podcast after today's news. Mark Fotheringham is the new head coach of Huddersfield Town two weeks after Danny Schofield was sacked as head coach. We talked about Danny Schofield on the last episode, Matt, so we won't dwell too much on the past there. But what do you make of the new appointment? Yeah, I think firstly we should probably apologise for the the dipping quality of this week's podcast, shouldn't we? Seeing as though Dave's not <laughs> part of the show, um, I think it's an improvement. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think the uh, Huddersfield fans had had built themselves up, hadn't they, into a uh, a crescendo of excitement, if you like, uh, expecting the arrival and the second coming of of David Wagner, and uh, unfortunately for a lot of people, that's not happened. Um, when you look at Mark Fotheringham, there's, I think now the dust has settled and, you know, we've, we've got the announcement. We've, we've already seen him taking the team training and now we've seen the announcement and we've heard what he's had to say. I think we can say there's quite a lot of positives to pick up on quite early. Um, his coaching background and his coaching career is short for a lot of it, but there are some quite impressive short-term stints, I think, and parts we can pick out from that. Um, so I think it's an interesting appointment, and I think mostly it's a very brave one as well, Stephen, because you know Lee Bromby um, quite rightly uh, fronted up and said Danny Schofield was my decision. He's put his neck on the line, and he's put his neck on the line again with Matt Fotheringham. So um, there's a lot going on here, a lot to digest. It's a very Huddersfield Town appointment, I think, isn't it? You know, it's it's sort of obviously time will tell on on how how Matt Fotheringham does at the club, but in terms of sort of the profile of of coach that they've brought in you know I think it is reasonably comparable to when David Wagner arrived when Carlos Corbran arrived the backgrounds that they had you know obviously he's got no head coaching experience Corbran had fairly minimal um, head coaching experience Wagner Dortmund Zwei. so I, th- I think there's that obviously the German background or I should say that the, the Coaching in Germany um, is obviously has parallels as well, and coaching under various um, you know high profile names, perhaps not on these shores. You know, Felix Magat I think is remembered for his Fulham and his his misquotation about uh, Quark, uh, not Quark from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the 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 cheese that is traditionally not applied to injuries, but there you go. But um, you know, Felix Magat is a three time Bundesliga winner, including with with Wolfsburg. Has worked under Michael Henker, who's coached. Champions League winning teams and uh, you know that's sort of the the line that the the club are quite keen to put out there it was in the the Lee Bromby quotes as well and I can understand that because he he is a an unknown quantity on these shores really his his profile and his reputation in Germany is really really good if you look at people that have worked with him and look at how he's you know the fact that he was supposedly offered the the job at Bochum, the head coach job at Bochum, who were a top flight side in Germany. Hertha Berlin fans, a lot of them wanted him to stay on as head coach after Felix McGatt left in the, left in the summer. But it is a risky one. We'll come back to the, the Wagner factor and the fan reaction to that later, by the way. But I, I think it's, you mentioned it's a brave decision. I think it's them sort of trusting in themselves and trusting in the structure they've set up and I know there's a lot of fans that have misgivings about that but I think they're looking at it as well this is the structure that that got us to third last season when we had an exceptional head coach Danny Schofield unfortunately didn't work out if we put another exceptional head coach in again then perhaps it starts working again I think that's the logic where do you stand on that Matt do you think that's the right decision yeah I I think it's the right decision Stephen to be honest because you know the the structure themselves they set up three years ago and we've we've not heard the end of the last three years have we from people at the club saying how wrong the structure was when we were in the Premier League and when David Wagner was there and so that's why it was quite surprising to be linked with him I know we'll probably talk about David Wagner a bit later on but that kind of model that we had before we've spent three years moving away from so it would have been very strange to jump back to it uh, Mm -hmm. after a very small period of panic if you like so I think the club like you say they've backed themselves they've brought in somebody that they think fits the ethos who's worked within the parameters of Huddersfield Town structure Um, 
And do you know what? You've got to give the guy credit. He's come by himself, and you can see on the inside training video the way he walks onto the ground full of purpose and full of full of enthusiasm. You know, this, this guy's backing himself, and Huddersfield Town are backing him as well. So it's it's going to be an interesting one, and I'm pleased that they have stuck to the structure. Um, whether it's going to be a success, we'll find out, won't we? Well, this is the thing, and we're talking about the structure just to put some meat on those bones. What we're talking about there is not just having a head coach instead of a manager. They sort of were heading back towards that or, or looking like they might head back towards that under the Cowleys when they came in. They specifically, Danny Cowley specifically had the, the title of manager. And a big part of the reason that they got rid of the Cowleys, despite them filling the brief of keeping them in the division, was because they weren't comfortable having a manager rather than what they have now, which is it's not just head coach and director of football or uh, head of football operations as it is with Lee Bromby. It's also, you have a head, a head of analytics, you have a head of uh, performance, they call it, which is, you know, it's essentially, it's fitness, isn't it? Um, you know, you have a head of goalkeeping, etc. And this isn't something that they're just pulling out of thin air now that they've had to make a, a change. They were talking about it at the end of last season as well, you know, when we, we interviewed Lee Bromby in the build-up to the playoffs, he talked about it then, and we talked to Carlos Colbran about it, and we discussed with both those guys about it took Carlos a bit of time to get used to that and to start trusting the other people that were around him. And I think you saw last season that when he did start trusting those people a bit more and started consulting them, listening to them, that's really when results started picking up after a hard first season. I'm not saying it's all down to that. I think we know that the squad was a big issue in Carlos's first season. But, you know, I, I think the, the the attitude they've taken is, you know, we've, we've lost two people behind the scenes, three, you know, three, if you count Josh Marsh on the transfer side. But in terms of the coaching, they've lost... Carlos Gorbran, Jorge Alacon, and they, you know, everyone else is sort of the same, you know, they've remained in situ. So I think they would look at it as this worked last season, this got us to the playoff final last season. So the only piece that was missing there was the head coach. Yeah, so I think one thing that's important to remember as well, that this structure exists as well, Stephen, so that if you lose a piece of the configuration, if you like, or a cog you know, in, in the whole machine, that it just doesn't completely break down. And that's what you get if you have, uh, you know, an all-encompassing manager, if you like, with Huddersfield Town. You know, if, mm-hmm. if he goes or you have to sack him, it's almost like starting from scratch again and you have to set everything up completely again, whereas this is a way to keep everything running smoothly. And, you know, you, it's, it's almost like a jigsaw, isn't it? You put your, one piece comes out and another piece comes in. Um, and it all sits really at the top, doesn't it, with uh, with your owner, I guess, and your head of football operations slash sporting director. I think he, he almost referred to himself in that interview, didn't he? But, you know, he was talking about the model and that's that's essentially how it works. And, and I don't think you can argue too much that it hasn't worked over the last sort of 12, 18 months. No, but it hasn't stopped people from, from, from making that argument. And I do get that, you know, that the reality is town are 23rd and we can we can keep referring to last season and keep saying that, you know, they finished third, they reached the playoff final nine minutes away from the Premier League and that's all valid. But, you know, the reality is they're second from bottom in the league. They've had one win, sorry, two wins in nine league games so far this season. One of them under caretaker charge against Cardiff last time out. Um, and you can understand, you know, you're a fan yourself, Matt, I'm sure you can understand some of your fellow fans being a bit wondering if bringing in a rookie head coach is the solution to that issue. Yeah, look, Stephen, it's about the risk factor and the risk element, isn't it? Huddersfield Town sit 23rd in the league at the minute. Um, what everybody wants is to make sure that Huddersfield Town is is in the championship at least next season. And bringing in a rookie manager can increase that risk. And I think in the back of everyone's head is Barnsley from last season they yeah. went through a couple of managers didn't they and the second one was very left field and that didn't work out and I think I don't think Huddersfield and Barnsley are comparable in how everything's set up I think our playing staff are better I think our structure's better but that will always be held against us because they're just down mm-hmm. the road you know and they got to the playoffs and then went down so it you know I understand people's frustration because I think in a lot of people's mind they wanted somebody to come in steady the ship and move us gradually at the table and this is a completely left field risky appointment and it could go either way so I do understand the uh, the fervor around the place yeah for sure uh, that's the thing I, I get it because it's you want as a fan I think you want to feel sort of reassured you want to feel like you 
have got someone in who you feel like is definitely going to bring you success. And I think it's not that, apart from sort of a, a very vocal minority, I think it's less people saying, who's this guy, is rubbish. Yeah. And it's more, we don't know anything about this guy. And when things are bad and then the solution to that is un- an unknown... I think it's hard to add, you know, if you add a, to get mathematical about it, if you, a, a negative plus an unknown is still a net negative for the time being. That said, you know, I mentioned that vocal minority. It was definitely there on Twitter and people sort of pulling their hair out, losing their minds over it. I, you know, I don't know if Mark Rotheringham is going to be the answer to everything. I don't, you know, we we don't know because we can talk about Carlos Gorbran and David Wagner. You can also talk about Danny Schofield and Jan Sievert. And inexperienced head coaches are an unknown. It can go either way. It could be somewhere in between. Town have had the real extremes. Um, <laughs> both ends, both ends of the spectrum. There, he could well be somewhere in between. What I would say is the fact that he is an unknown surely means you at least give him a few games before you judge him and decide that he's useless and isn't <laughs> to take it forward. Yeah, there's some people had, had labelled him useless before he'd even signed on the contract, signed the line on the contract, didn't they? Um, you know, I think with some people, at least let him have a few games before you tell him he's useless. But yeah, I, I, it's just frustration, isn't it? I think Huddersfield's, uh, Huddersfield fans, you know, I speak from a personal point of view as well. The expectation level for the manager was was set, rightly or wrongly, Um and a lot of people bought into that. And when you move away quite drastically from that, I think it's quite natural to have a, a come down, if you like. But I've a bit of whiplash I, in it. Yeah, but I have seen to you know to a lot of people's credit, uh, I have seen a recovery as well. Yeah. It's, it's almost we're just almost like we could be talking about the economy and the pound, isn't it? But you know, <laughs> we've we've seen a little recovery, haven't we, online? And people have now heard what he's got to say. They've listened to him. They've watched the inside training video, and people are slowly starting to say, "Do you know what? I like this guy." I like what he's got to say. He mm-hmm. looks he looks tough, this guy. He's not going to take any prisoners. And all of a sudden, little traits and little characteristics have been picked upon. Um, so these videos that the club put out, people sometimes roll their eyes at it, don't they? You know, maybe the older end, um, maybe our end. <laughs> sort of. But they're actually quite useful, aren't they, in, in helping uh, understand the character of the players, understand the character of the coach. And, and, you know, the inside training video is quite important. So... I'd suggest to anyone who's not sure to maybe watch it. It's not going to give you all the answers. You know, it's not it's not the forty two, is it, Stephen? You know, no, um, it's it's PR at the end of the day, isn't it? But you know? but you will see what he's like with the players. You will see that he's quite tough. He takes no prisoners, and he's actually also not just tough, but there are elements of that video where he's he's got the metaphorical arm around people and guiding people in the right way. And his little speech at the end about everybody coming together is decent as well. So, you know, the talk's good. But, you know, let's roll on to Reading and see what it looks like. I think that 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 relationship with the players is going to be really key. And he said himself in his first interview, he's not there to be the player's friend. You know, he's there to be their boss and be their head coach, be their leader. But I I think it was apparent on the pitch, and Lee Bromby has has admitted as much, Danny Schofield wasn't getting everything out of the players the same way that Carlos Corbrand did last year. I think... There's, you couldn't, you know, there were games where town were bad last season, don't get me wrong. There's a few that spring to mind. Not many, but there were a few. But you couldn't say in those games that they hadn't left everything on the pitch. They, you know, they just made mistakes, played badly. I don't think we've seen that this season. I don't think we've seen Huddersfield Town performing in a way where the players have, have left everything on the pitch. And, you know, Dave and I, we tend to sort of focus on the, the tactical side of things. We have an analytical eye, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're not putting in that, that blood, sweat and tears. What was it Mark Fotheringham said? It was, you know, he, he wants them to have sort of fire in their bellies and calm in their heads. That's exactly what we need to see from town from, from here on in. Yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The players are so key to this because Mark Fotheringham's coming over from a German coaching background, so he's naturally going to be compared to David Wagner to, and to Jan Sievert. And you've seen the two extremes of, and of player power with David Wagner and Jan Sievert mm. as well. When David Wagner came over, he went, right, this is how it is. We're going to train this, this and this way. It annoyed a lot of players. James Vaughan was incredibly annoyed and he moved on quite swiftly. But those players led by Mark Hudson, Jonathan Hogg, uh, Dean Whitehead, all bought into what David Wagner had to offer and the group bought into it. They believed in it. They turned up at half past seven the previous day to a 7.45 kickoff and trained at night 
uh, you know, they spent less time with the families, but they went to the, uh, the, sh- the trip to Sweden. I don't think anyone will ever forget Jonathan Hogg walking around in a pair of shorts, you know, whittling away, making, making houses for everyone, you know, uh, amazing. And they all bought into that brilliantly. And then the other side of the coin you've seen with Jan Siever as well, he's come in in a similar situation and he's, tr- you know, Jan's, Jan's a nice guy, isn't he? He can't fool anybody. He's, he's come in, he's tried to be tough and he's tried to clamp down on certain things and they've looked at him and gone, who is this guy? Off, you know, out of here. And he's had... I, yeah. And, I, he's I, had, I, I, and he's seen the I, other I, side, so... I really like Jan, but I can't think of many things less convincing than a rollicking from Jan either. <laughs> yeah, bless him. Uh, but yeah, you've seen two sides there, so the buy-in has got to be so key. So this is this falls on your Tom Lees, your Jordan Rhodes, your Jonathan Hoggs, mm-hmm. your Dwayne Holmes. These guys have got to be the leaders in the dressing room, and they've got to drag everybody along with it. If Huddersfield Town is to survive and prosper, those players in particular... Uh, Mikel Hellick maybe you know these guys have really, really got course. to drag the yeah. rest along and this that is the most key point of the whole process is getting the players on side and that's why it was good to see the video um, mm-hmm. you know they, they look like they were you know it's a 30 minute video isn't it so you know you're not there all day but they looked like they had buy-in you know players were smiling and enjoying things so so great I do have concerns with the appointment everyone I'm sure has has concerns I have one what my ma- my main concern really is not so much his lack of experience but I think my main concern is that, he, that he's coming by himself he's coming to teach if you like a German way of playing uh without any sort of right hand men you know he's doing like I say by himself and he's been he's got Chicho uh, who we all think he's a great coach um got Paul Harsley. Did himself, did himself no harm, did he? In his, yeah, his absolutely not. No, we don't know much about Paul Harsley. Um, but he's got to come over and teach this new method, this new way of playing by himself. And he's, you know, he's not only has he got to get the players on side, but he's got to get the coaching staff on side. And I'm sure listening to Chicho, they'll be, they'll be 100% helpful. But, you know, this is driven by one man and it's a lot of pressure on, on one guy. Um, it looks like he's up for the challenge though, you know, sort of listening to him speak. But there, there is that. It could go brilliantly, you know, absolutely brilliantly. But that's just one thing I'm sort of looking at going, mm, it would would have been nice to have a little bit of backup for him. But, you know, that, that may be a complete nonsense and, it, and it's fine. But there is that. Um, on the plus side as well, Stephen, you look at the two, you know, most of his coaching has been short stints. So you look at the Ingolstadt records, he's got the relegation with Ingolstadt. But if you look at the actual record Ingolstadt had when him and... Um, uh, who was the guy? Toral, uh, Toral, wasn't it? Who came Thomas in? Thomas Toral. Yeah, that's the one. So, uh, if you look at the record there, it's absolutely, it's actually really, really good. And they've come in and they've had a huge impact. And it's not their cause. Oh, it's not. They're not the cause of the relegation because they've won what six in nine there. And then they've come back when Ingolstadt are teetering and not quite in the promotion places and driven them back. So that's impressive. Um, Hertha Berlin. You know, him and Felix Magat coming in, um, you know, saving her to Berlin. That's impressive as well. So there are a lot of boxes ticked there, um, but there's not a lot of experience either. There's like quite a few short st- short stints, but it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm talking a lot there, but, you know, I'm quite excited. Uh, you know, I hope, I'm hoping that's coming across. I'm quite excited about the appointment, but I do have cautious apprehension as well, if you like. I, I think what Tam would say on the coaching side of things and... The German model is I don't think they would see it as a radical departure from what they're already doing because I know obviously Carlos not German uh, I don't know if that comes as a surprise to anyone um, and and obviously had you know a couple of his countrymen a couple of Spaniards on his coaching staff as well but Town's sort of coaching framework and by that I mean the kind of things they they want to work on on the training pitch you know that is something that comes from from Lee Bromby's position that is developed with the head coaches and I'm sure whenever they get a new head coach they sit down they make tweaks they make decisions and ultimately it's up to the head coach to implement it you know Lee Bromby is not you know he'll be there to give advice um, and be there to talk to but I don't think he's you know he's going to be saying why are you doing this Mm. you know don't don't do that do my session at all but the, the, the framework is there and you know Lee Bromby said himself that is largely based on what they learned from David Wagner from his time at the club. So I think they they do have that sort of Germanic inflection in their setup. And, you know, Fotheringham said that that was a big, big part of what was attractive to him about the club. Because I think that's another thing to sort of bear in mind is, you know, I think people might look at it and say it's a big move for Mark Fotheringham, and it is. But it's also, I think, a, a town would see it as a good get for them as well when it's a man that's been linked with, you know, Bundesliga 
clubs, top flight clubs mm. in Germany. No, absolutely. It's not to be stiffed at at all, Stephen. It's just when you go back to the, um, like we were talking about security and Huddersfield fans wanting to feel secure yeah. in the in the thing. That's, you know, you look at these things and you're kind of going, oh, he's only got this. But like, like I said, this this could be a fantastic appointment. and It could be another whirlwind roller coaster ride that we all jump on and it, it could be brilliant. I'm, I'm excited by it. Um, but like I say, there are things, probably a couple of cautions that if they get ticked off quite early on, I, I'll, I'll be quite happy and I'll be 100% bought in. But I think as a fan, I think it's it's quite healthy to have a level of uh, scepticism before you jump yeah. two foot, you know, before you go in two footed and jump all in. And I'm, I want, I'm going to give him every chance in the world. I think majority of Huddersfield fans, I think now they've, now they've got over the, uh, David Wagner's not coming back. I think they'll all give him a chance as well, a fair chance. And despite a couple of moans and groans here online, I think a lot of it's just sounding off, isn't it? I think yeah. I think when the but, team but, walks out, they'll be behind them. And I think exactly. And if they win a couple of games early, I think everybody will, will jump in, and I think it'll uh, it'll be much uh, much easier if you like uh, being a Huddersfield fan. I, I think you're right on both counts. There, I think that ultimately, you know, the fans can. Can I think they're you're quite right that they are entitled to be skeptical, and I think that is a vital part of what of what fans are for. You know, I think in this country we often trick ourselves into thinking fans are just there to cheer the team, sort of uh, regardless. And there's a bit of a, a culture that isn't actually a deity by anyone anymore. But I think there's this ideal that you should cheer the team no matter what. To me, you know, the fans are there also to hold the club to account. So I think yeah, that. Yeah, true. You know, when you're second from bottom in the table, having finished third, you know, and things, you know, and things are not going well, the fans' job is to hold the club to account because you can't have, yeah. you know, any complacency. And I'm not suggesting that there is, but, you know, up and down the country, that is that is what part of the function of the fans is. I think there's a line between scepticism and disrespect, as as we touched on. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I doubt that many of those people are, are listening to this. Hopefully, because we have a very uh, refined listenership here on Utopia mm-hmm. Terrier, and every single one of our listeners is nothing but um, the most intelligent and sexy people in the world. I don't know. Cosy listens to this. To be fair, <laughs> are you saying Cosy's not sexy? It's very sexy. Exactly. But this is taking a strange turn. So. <laughs> You know, but we can talk about the fan reaction we have done. Ultimately, it's just empty words at this point, isn't it? Because, as you say, when they step on the field, if they lose the next three, four, five games, it's going to be absolutely toxic. If they win two or three of the next five or six, everyone's going to be on board. Exactly, you know, and, and yeah. everyone everyone will have forgotten what they've said this week or what it's, they thought this week, you know? Yeah, there's, again, it's more of a symptom of where we are. I think if he came in in the summer, D- David Wagner had, you know, when he came in, we were, I think, 14th, 15th around that. So we'd just drawn with Reading, hadn't we? Away? You were two points outside the relegation zone. Yeah, so we, we weren't quite, I won't say we were cast adrift at the moment, were we? But we, we're second bottom with a few points to gain, if you like. You've got a bit to do, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. And, David Wagner lost to Sheffield Wednesday and we lost at home to Middlesbrough. But both performances were very good, you know, and people could see exactly what he was trying to bring. And they, and not only did the players buy into it, but the fans bought into it as well. And that was that was so key in the promotion season that the fans got on board the roller coaster with them. Uh, you know, I remember once, um, I think at a Q&A, it was either Sean Jarvis or Nigel Clibbins said that Huddersfield Town's ceiling is 15,000 fans at a home game. And, you know, we blew blew that away you know we blew the 15,000 away uh, on a, it means 15 on a regular basis we blew that away yeah. in the promotion season um, the noise levels we blew away you know the, the, the famous or infamous Galfam groan if you like that was completely blown away and and it's just the bite you know when the fans buy into something it, it creates such a fantastic atmosphere and I, I think sometimes the supporters don't quite understand the role and how important their role is sometimes um, you're very right as well that it's the job, you know, I think the job of a football fan is to be multifunctional, if you like. So, you know, you cheerlead, you hold them to account, you get behind them, you support them, you advertise them, you know, it, being a fan. And and not everybody's the same either. So some people just like to turn turn up, watch, go home and not talk about it. And that's that's fine. Yeah. Um, and that's I think the, that's probably most fans. Do yeah, that. that's that's the wonderful thing about being a football fan, isn't it? You can you can do what you want to do, uh, and you can say what you want to say, and it's absolutely fine. Within but limits, rules help. With within limits, yeah, within within <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but like I said, back to the original point, and that is that if 
Mr. Fotheringham, um, he hasn't quite got a nickname yet, has he? If we can, I don't think I'd dare Mr. give him one either. Mr. Fotheringham. Did you see the look when he, when, that he glanced at the, the uh, journalist when they described the Braveheart style of play? I'm calling him Mr. <laughs> Fotheringham. Uh, absolutely. He, so, he sounds like a head coach from the 1920s, which, might not, which isn't a bad thing for the children. Uh, head it? teacher. But, you know, whatever, you know, so... You know, if but like you say, a couple of wins, people will buy into it, and then you can all of a sudden that momentum and that wave can start, and hopefully that can take us further up the table. But yeah, winning games is just absolutely key, and performances though do count. And like I say, during that Wagner period, you could see what they were trying to do. And if we have a similar similar spell, I think people will buy in. Yeah, I think they need points first and foremost. I think the part of the issue is that we were saying under Danny Schofield, these, this performance wasn't like outright dreadful when you look at the under, underlying numbers, but they've lost. And, you know, that that urgency doesn't go away with the position that they're in. They need to get points. They need to get wins. Um, and I think that's that's the first priority. I think if they get a draw at Reading on Saturday, that's a very good result, the way that it's Reading right. have been this season. Yeah, it's, that would be a good result. And, if, you know, even if they're to lose... You know, Reading are having a great season, whatever. But we need to see something out of them. And as a, not to repeat myself, but that first impression on the players and on the coaching staff is so, so important because Town have already, we talked in the last episode about how Town effectively wasted the summer on a, a formation that was never going to work. And they have now nine games into the season. They've got seven points. They're second from bottom. They can't afford to waste any more time. So getting off on the right foot... Not just to win the fans over, but you know the the brass tacks of football. Things could get away from them very quickly if they don't start getting points on the board soon. And if if they don't do that, then it's only going to get harder and harder. And you know, if he hasn't made the right first impression over these first couple of days for whatever reason, then I think he's you know he's dead in the water already. Hopefully, that's not the case. You know, we we we're not in the training ground, but you know, you would hope that that. They're glad to have someone in. They're glad to know, have some certainty over who's come in. And, you know, I'd love to talk. I'd love to sit here and say, oh, he's going to play 4-3-3. He's going to play 4-2-3-1. I don't know. You know, previous managers, you can look at, you know, you could look at what the Cowleys have done and say at Lincoln and say, oh, they'll they'll look to play 4-2-3-1 as soon as they can. We can't do that with Mark Fotheringham. But I think we know what sort of style he's going to be going for. I don't think it's going to be a million miles away from you know, a, a modernisation on the David Wagner style. Um, you know, they've talked about wanting to be aggressive and on the front foot. What do you think are the big issues that Town need to solve and that Mark Fotheringham needs to solve over these next few games? I think if they want to be aggressive and on the front foot, I think energy levels are very, very key. Uh, we And you've hit, a, hit on a really good point there, I think, Stephen, with regards to how Danny Schofield effectively wasted part of the season playing a different system. And I think what's quite good about raising that is that it also highlights the positivity about keeping on some of the previous coaches because if he goes down that road and kind of goes, right, I'm going to play, he's probably not going to do this, but for for example, if he goes, I'm going to play 4-4-2 and I'm going to play John Russell and Jonathan Hogg as my two midfielders. You know, you've got two assistants there who should be going, hang, hang on a second. You know, yeah, that, that, didn't, work. That, yeah, that doesn't quite work as the way you want, especially with, you know, especially if you wanting them to press on the front foot, that's not going to fly. But, you know, so it, there's an argument there for, you know, keeping the, you know, the coaching stuff and the experience that they bring, which is good, which is good to level things up. But if he wants to play aggressive and on the front foot, then he's going to have to look towards your more energetic players. And David Kasumu is going to be absolutely massive in mm. a lot of that. You know, I, I looked at David, I think we had the conversation on WhatsApp, didn't we, when the David Wagner stuff was... Um, in its infancy, if you like, at the very beginning. And I, and I think one of us sort of said, David Wagner would love David Kasumu because he epitomises everything that you want in a, a modern midfielder in terms of, you know, his capability of pressing and picking up the second balls. His defensive stats are incredible, aren't they? So David Kasumu, players like that are going to be huge. I don't want to put too much pressure on Etienne Kamara because he's only just made one mm -hmm. championship start. But, you know, if he plays like that or if he can turn in another 15, 20 performances like that this season, then your midfield all of a sudden looks very good. And a lot of it comes from the top as well. You've got Danny Ward, you know, German style, you play with a pressing striker and Danny Ward is very adept at doing so. Jordan Rhodes less, but Jordan Rhodes does work hard as well. Uh, and then out wide, you've got Sauber Thomas who can come in, come in and out quite naturally and you've got a, a decent blend Tino can fit into either a 10 position or wide so you've got good flexibility that it can use um, but if they're going to play 
you know, that sort of, Jurgen Klopp used to call it heavy metal football, don't he? If, if you're going to play that sort of style, then you do need to be very wary of some of the partnerships that Huddersfield Town do have. And like I say, avoiding mm-hmm. a couple of certain pitfalls. But he's got experience in the coaching stuff there, like we said. So you know, hopefully that'll be the first, uh, first thing mentioned. I wouldn't be hugely surprised and this is just a gut feeling. If if you saw them try and continue what Narciss and Paul Harsley did uh, yeah. against Cardiff and just try and be solid for a few games, because you need to get fundamentals into the players. If you know, I know that the, the changes aren't going to be hopefully aren't going to be too enormous, and the players will be able to pick them up. But there's still going to be changes. There always is when there's a new head coach in charge. And I think when you're doing that, you want to try and simplify things as much as you can and give everyone very clear roles. You'll have fundamentals and things that that you want them to do. But I think against Cardiff, they gave the players very simple roles. You know, we, we we talked about how under Danny Schofield, you had a lot of players that were playing sort of one and a half roles. They were doing one and a half jobs. So you had two central midfielders with no one ahead of them and no one behind them you know no number 10 no number six so they were sort of doing half a defensive job half a attacking job you had you know full backs who were halfway a full back halfway a wing back or in Yutanakiyama's case in one game halfway a left back and halfway a defensive midfielder you know you had Danny Ward who was halfway an attacking midfielder halfway a centre forward against Cardiff it was very simple you know your wingers were yeah. wingers striker was a striker centre backs centre backs full backs were full backs and you can I'm not saying that playing that way is going to be the way to progress I think you do need a bit more um, a bit more about you when you're on form and you're adapting to different opponents but I think in the position that town are now playing under a new head coach it's all about getting those basics down and the best way to do that is simplify be solid prioritize being solid prioritize the clean sheets because that defense has been a big issue that's his first job for me yeah and I did read a an article about them at um her to Berlin and apparently the game that I think it might have been the game that he took charge when Felix Magat had uh, COVID apparently, yeah. yeah apparently in that game they played with three centre-backs and three holding midfielders so this <laughs> I think that that's to, very Felix Magat I would say but, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure but apparently you know you look at that you know, as like a five you know five four one but apparently it was actually quite progressive when they got the ball as well so you know there may be you know the, the beauty of the uh, Carlos Corbran side last season was that the opposition had absolutely no idea I think it was Mark Robbins said you know you can't plan for a Carlos Corbran Huddersfield Town team because he changes the change system and, and shape that often that it's almost impossible to prepare for them and I think being successful in modern day football is also how flexible and how tactically aware of each evolving situation. And it's it's good to read that he's got, you know, although Felix McGat is the coach, it's good to read that he's been exposed to more than one way of playing. So I'd, like I say, I don't think you could put him in a box and say he's going to play 4 2 3 because I think we're going to see all sorts over the coming season, depending on the situation that we find ourselves in. Potentially. I mean, as I say, we just don't know. There, there was one quote that was interesting after that. I think it was after that Hoffenheim game where he said, you know, I'm not interested in tactics. And I think a couple of people are taking that out of context. Mm. What he was saying there was, you know, I think he was saying, I'm not interested in the numeric notation of, and remember he would have been speaking in his second language there. He speaks excellent German, but you know, he's, uh, he would have been speaking his second language when he was saying that. And uh, I think what he meant was, you know, calling it a 4-3-3, calling it a 4-2-3-1. We saw it under Carlos Gorbrand last year. It was, it was one shape on the ball, one shape off the ball. And, even then it was, you know, you call it a 4-3-3 and at no point were they actually in a 4-3-3-4-3. So I think what he was trying to say, if you read the full quote, was, you know, for Sir Alex Erickson in that that, um, Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo team that he had, he was, you know, playing, saying it was one shape, but it was also this shape, but it was also this shape. And he was saying it's all about relationships. It's all about, you know... um, distance between players on the pitch and that is more important than sticking to a particular strict formation is what yeah throttling the space yeah absolutely yeah so i mean we'll, we'll need to see it's it's a tough game against reading as i say um that'll be a big test what are your misgivings not just for that game where, where do you to and you can play devil's advocate here if you want matt what are the areas of concern for you around this appointment and the areas of concern that I think it's 
I think it's he's not been a head coach before, so you don't know what you're going to get. Do you? it's a bag of revels, you know. You've got absolutely no idea, you know what's going on. I, I I suspect he'll come in and he'll lean on Chicho and Paul Harsley early for the Reading game, and we probably won't see too far a departure from what we had against Cardiff because to come in with a couple of days and and change everything in the build up to a game would mm. be uh, would be wrong, I think, and I, I don't think he would do that. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite the more I talk about it, Steve, the more excited I am about the appointment um, so the only misgivings I have really are can he get his point across just by himself um, or not not so much his point but his playing methods across you mm. know um, can he get everybody on side uh, the players will the players buy into it because obviously coming from Germany if he's taking that German approach they're going to be doing your crazy training schedules etc and some players like it some don't uh, and the lack of experience but we've seen he's gone into two relegation battles at Hertha Berlin and Ingolstadt in similar positions uh, at Ingolstadt they had a they won six out of nine if I'm looking at the right year that is they won six out of nine uh, still got relegated but you know winning six out of nine in a relegation battles excellent you know I don't think you can do much more uh, well nine out of nine but you know where I'm coming I'm from and hurt and her to Berlin they've they've saved them from being relegated so he's come into two situations he said in his interview he's still looking at the playoffs so you know it's 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 very not not quite that but you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, the, but he's he looking upwards. He's looking upwards, yeah. which is the key, which is uh, which is interesting. And um, he did say he didn't want to get too far ahead of himself, but but yeah, but yeah, it, it comes it comes where you know you can listen to him talk so many times. But I just want to see his team in action now, and uh, and hopefully it's uh, it's going to be a good ride. Were you disappointed it wasn't David Wagner? And I'm asking you as a fan here. <laughs> yeah, I went through different phases with that. Initially, when he got mentioned, I was like, no. As as you know, like I always say this in our podcast, I'm David Wagner's number one fan. Uh, my little boy's middle name's David, which is mostly after my dad, but partly after David Wagner as well. Um, not not after David Hartrick. Not after David Hartrick. Although latterly, maybe David Hartrick. They do both mm. like comic books of uh, of Marvel and DC, which is quite disconcerting. But was I disappointed? Well, did I want David Wagner? Not initially, um, but I quickly got. <sighs> I quickly got used to the idea that he could potentially be coming back and then it became an exciting prospect. I did think David Wagner would come in and everybody would jump on board with it and you would see a mini wave, a revival. I was absolutely certain that he would come in and everybody would would, would love that big smiley face, you know, and everyone would buy into it and we would rise up the league. But what after that was the concern and, and maybe I was looking too far forward with it um, because initially there's a job to do and that's to get Huddersfield away from the bottom three and he would have done that for sure. But uh, long term, I just didn't quite feel that the club was set up. Not so much set up, but I just didn't feel like the He was a manager and, when he left, wasn't he? Yeah, I just didn't feel like the pieces fit properly. Um, I felt like not so much the transfer stuff, but I just I just felt like um, Huddersfield Town are doing stuff in a certain way now, which a lot of it was built on him. And but that but it was built on him having the input to it, if you like. And now now we're quite entrenched into it and he would have to fit back in. And there were certain things I thought maybe would work and maybe wouldn't work. And to be honest, as David Wagner's a hero of Huddersfield Town and we can hold him on this pedestal up here as, you know, the great white buffalo, the world would be a much better place if David Wagner came back to Huddersfield Town. I don't actually want David Wagner to come back to Huddersfield Town to find that and have that bubble burst, if you know what I mean. So mm. it's a really oddly selfish phrase where I, I just want David Wagner to go down as a, a legend at Huddersfield Town and I don't really want him to come back and do anything to alter that and mm. I just felt that the conditions I can't quite put my finger on it but I just didn't feel like the conditions were quite right for long-term success um, so initially I had concerns but as the jungle drums got a little bit louder um, I was quite happy with the idea and you know I think you have to credit the club in some ways because they pulled the shutters down really well, didn't they, on on the mm-hmm. appointment. No leaks got out. You know, people hear things. I know people who hear things and nobody Despite heard Despite Mark Fotheringham being at the Cardiff game in the tournament. Yeah, no one, yeah <laughs> <laughs> no one noticed. That was brilliant. No, absolutely nobody noticed. But, you know, nothing got out. And so little things like David, like Christoph Bueller coming back to visit friends in, in Huddersfield and David Wagner having a meeting with someone ex- or, or these little things get out and they build excitement because nothing's coming out of the club and that's not the club's fault mm. at all you know it's just it's just the way football fans work they hear a little rumour and it snowballs and they get excited mm. and it's, it's just natural to be disappointed if you have an expectation level built 
and knocked down. But what I will say is that expectation level was not built by the football club. They quietly got on with their business and, and well, when they, they were said, ready. They said it during the Cardiff game that they hadn't offered it to David Wagner. Yeah, but, they did. You know, we, we don't, you know, I know that he's out of work at the moment, but what we'd say on that is, you know, we, we've not, I've not spoken to anyone, David Wagner's end, but we don't know if he is interested in going back into football at the moment. You know, after he left um, town, he took a good few months off, didn't he? You know, so before he, he then went to Schalke and then sort of same again, he left Schalke and then took a good few months off before he took his next job in, in Switzerland. So... You know, we, we don't, for all we know, he's he's wanted to do the same and he's off doing, you know, looking after his, his family and spending time with his wife and recharging his batteries. So, you know, it's done now. Let's not, you know, we talked for 10 minutes about David Wagner last time, but I just wanted to get sort of your take on that as a fan because it's something we don't don't often get on this podcast. But It's a strange take, I'll be honest. It was a really strange take. It's apprehension, excitement, relief, <laughs> really, I think, is, is the three stages I went through with that. <sighs> I think, though, you talk about he, you know, he may not have fit into the structure, and again, we'll circle back to sort of where we. Oh, he started, might, he might have, he might have as well, which he might have done. Yeah. yeah, we'll circle back to where we started with this, with the structure. I think that it does, it is a big test. You know, I think I, I admire them in a way, um, in a lot of ways, for sticking to their guns and and having faith in themselves and not panicking and tearing everything up um, on the basis of you know eight games. eight, eight bad games. results over 10 games when they've just had this you know a really successful season that they've had you know and but that said it is a big test for it you know Lee Bromby wasn't wrong when he said it's you know he he's under no illusions that that he's under pressure he had to get this appointment right because his reputation's on the line and I think um it's evident that after Danny Schofield when everyone always wants a someone to to blame and that definitely became <laughs> Lee Bromby over the past two weeks um in some some circles on social media um and it is a big test for this system that they've set up you know it's because if if Danny, I'm not saying Danny Schofield was the whole issue. I don't think he was, but I think he was. He did have to go, and he was a big part of the issues that they ha- they've had this season. You know, the biggest part, I would say. So now he's gone. If the struggles continue under someone that they've spent two weeks looking for, or you know, they they said that they he's been the top contender since they first spoke to him, and I know he was at Cardiff, but they did speak to other people. They did go through a process of interviews, etc. It wasn't just sort of one guy they looked at and spoke to. Um, having been through that process, if they've still got it wrong again, then they do need to, you know, questions do need to be asked about: Is this setup working? If it's not, what's gone wrong? Is it recruitment? Is it coaching is it you know is there something wrong with their philosophy that they need to look at their style of play is that outdated these and i'm not saying any of those things are true i actually quite like their recruitment um this summer but if mark fotheringham fails it's not just a failure for the head coach it's a failure for lee bromby and it's a failure for the club so not to mention if this fails the clock is already ticking you know they don't have they don't have the luxury of, of time. You know, Carlos Corbran, his first season, yes, they were in a relegation battle, but that only kicked in in sort of January. They'd actually made a really good start to the season. They were mid-table um, at turn of the new year and people started to talk about playoffs. They don't have that momentum behind them at the moment. And if things start badly and results continue as they have been, potentially they end up in League One next season. So... There is an awful lot on the line here. I would say I think that would be true, though, whoever they had appointed. You know, they could have got David Wagner and we'd be saying exactly the same thing. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. And I do understand, you know, I think we talked about the risk of bringing in a rookie manager, rookie head coach, and we talked about, you know, it's a risk sticking with this system. But I think you could make a strong argument that now is not the time to rip everything up and start again. You know, it's it's try and work with with what you've got and you know and and minimize the disruption as much as you can. Um because if they had finished twentieth last season, I think I would say, yeah, rip it up, start again. But <laughs> playoff final. So it's trying to get back to that. And to me, 
the most sensible way of going about that is saying, well, what is the biggest change we've had? And yes, there've been personnel, but they can't do anything about transfers at the moment. So let's reverse the decision that we made when Carlos Corpran went, which is appointing Danny Schofield, and let's try again and do what we should have done in the summer. And they've done that now. And we'll we'll see what the results are. And by the way, you know, that is not a <laughs> a rant from me and me saying this is all dreadful and it's definitely going to go to hell if it works as it did last year we will be singing their praises and you know i think it's been quite clear from from how i've talked about it i think there's a lot of reasons to think that this is a setup that can work with the right head coach at the helm and if it does we'll sing their praises if it doesn't work we're gonna have to criticize them you know that's that's football that's where we are it's funny isn't it because the the, the less money spent, if you like, the, the lower spenders, they've got less room for error, you know, in yeah. terms of decision-making as well. Because even the best or one of the best British managers of all time, and this might rattle your cage a little bit, Sir Alex Ferguson, even he signed Eric Jemba, Jemba, Massimo Taibi and Juan Sebastian Verón, etc. There's a, there's a list of things. Bebe. That Bebe, yeah, that's the one I was trying to picture, yeah. Bebe, yeah. That, um, so, yeah, there's a long list of of things that even the best do wrong. But when Huddersfield Town do things wrong, they don't have a massive scope for error. And when they do make an error, it gets highlighted and magnified on a huge scale because they can go out and they can assign a player in midfield. And if that player doesn't work, they can't just go out and say, right, fine, we'll go out and sign somebody from the Premier League for £6 million. It doesn't work like that with Huddersfield Mm. Town. And I think the Huddersfield Town fans understand that. Uh, everyone, Everyone understands that with Huddersfield Town. But if you do make mistakes... They will get put under the magnifying glass and they will get highlighted. Danny Schofield, I think, in hindsight, was a mistake. I think people were maybe 50-50 at the time with Danny Schofield. I um, think there was, we talked about it last time, and I think there was at least logic there. You know, oh, oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think when you maybe look back in hindsight, a lot of internal appointments don't work because especially when they're coming from the first team setup as well because yeah. in a play, in a player's head this guy was the guy that used to pick up the bibs and uh, pick up the cones and hand out the bibs and now he's telling us mm-hmm. what to do and and maybe that's not consciously what they're thinking but maybe subconsciously mm-hmm. that's a reason why so many internal appointments do fail maybe if he was the manager of the B team strictly and then came in to manage or head coach then then it's different but I think Danny Schofield can go on and do very well elsewhere and I think he will do very yeah. well elsewhere. I just think it was the wrong just the wrong move at the time, but it's a move that the club had to give him. So I don't really hold it against them too much. And and I think they, they pulled the trigger maybe maybe one two game maybe one game too late maybe. But they did it. They've made they've made the tough decision. I think it's the right move. Is this the right move? We we only we can only we say it with, yeah. with hindsight, can't we? So, you know, they've like I said, they've put their necks on the block. If it's a mistake, then I'm not saying heads will roll, but, you know, they'll own up to it. And that's all that you can really have. Huddersfield Town has accountability. And, you know, whether they choose what to do with it, so <laughs> that's completely different. But what I will say is that anybody who wants to ask any questions to Huddersfield Town, apparently Dean Hall's doing a Q&A in October somewhere, um, which hasn't been... Uh, it was on the website, but it's not been officially announced when and where. So, you know, if you've got a question for the way that the club's run, go ask him. He'll answer it. Um, if you've got a concern, go tell him. They'll listen. And that's one of the good things about supporting Huddersfield Town is that they're not a big machine like Man United and Sir Alex Ferguson. You can go tell them your concerns and they'll listen. Um, if you whinge online, <laughs> probably less likely to listen. But if you, you know, uh, they're very good at fronting up Huddersfield Town to mistakes. Lee Bromby was good at fronting up, you know, go ask a question and you'll get an honest answer. And I think that's a, a really good thing about Huddersfield Town. Yeah, I, I think there is an element of their approach is, I think, quite high risk, high reward. They do do things differently, not just the B team, but having the continental set up. And it, they're not the only team in England that, that does these things. You know, uh, Brentford have, have a, I think, probably the closest comparison, um, albeit with a lot more money. But I think, I think Dean Hoyle sort of realised after David Wagner, when Town came into the championship, they had more conventional managers and more conventional setup, a more conventional way of doing things, and they finish nineteenth every year because yeah. that is the budget that they're on. You know, if they, if all things being equal, you know, your, your wage budget is your biggest indicator of where you're going to finish. So if you have a budget for a club that's finishing nineteenth and you do everything sort of bang average, there's a good chance that you are going to finish nineteenth. Chris, pa- Chris Powell will get you nineteenth, and but you'll lose. You yeah. lose people of the crowd because people will be bored. So your high risk brings the excitement level as yeah. well, doesn't it? So I'm not saying that people should accept um, a relegation battle after finishing third. They absolutely shouldn't. But I think that there is 
there is an element of that you know they they do roll the dice you know lee bromby said himself they have to do everything absolutely and you've just sort of echoed it matt had to do everything absolutely perfectly to succeed because of the budget that they have and their way of doing things the kind of the profile of signings that they make they have to get all those decisions right um you know they're not they're not a nottingham forest who can go and sign 20 players and if 10 of them are rubbish then who cares because you've got 10 that are good kind of thing so they do have to but when they do get things right you know magical things can happen as we've seen, you know, they've been in two playoff finals um, in the last five years. And as good as David Wagner and Carlos Corbran were, unquestionably, um, they're not unicorns. You know, <laughs> there are other good head coaches out there and town are hoping that Mark Fotheringham, Mark Fotheringham is going to be one of them. So, well, that was a, a mouthful. Mark Fotheringham is going to be one of them. Mark Fotheringham is a unicorn. I like that bothering him let me say his name we'll see how it goes you know we can sit here we could talk for another hour matt but i think we'd best leave it because we actually need to see them play some games first don't we (laughs) so i'm not sure when the next episode is going to be i know the schedule has been quite irregular over the past few weeks partly that's down to sort of fixtures and breaking news but we are trying to find a way of making it a bit more regular again but sort of day circumstances have changed a bit um over the past couple of months so we're having to sort of find a time that that works for us because it used to be that one or the other of us was always recording on our free time and that free time is now sort of a bit more limited uh so bear with us for the moment guys and we'll we'll try and find a schedule that works and try and get back on a more regular routine thanks again matt for filling in at short notice uh where can people find you both in their ears and in their eyes yes you do say that if you guys you guys obviously deliver a superb podcast that all of us listen to um but if you want to listen to a different podcast by the fans you can find us at www.takesthatchance.com at takes that chance on twitter um i'll keep it at that because nobody wants to follow at ttc matt just send silly memes around don't i And I am going away to continue what is meant to be a week's holiday over the international break, but has obviously been uh, disrupted by this breaking news. It's very inconsiderate. Always seems to be the way. That's the job. Poor me. Back with you next time. Matt, musical recommendation. Oh, gosh. Um, do you know what? I've not really liked any music since uh, after <laughs> 2008. But, uh, I've listened recently to the new Muse album, uh, Will of the People. Um, it's okay. I'm not sure I'd recommend it. (laughs) What a recommendation. (laughs) They're playing at the stadium next year, so I thought it would tip the balance whether I uh, spent the money on a ticket or not, and I'm still unsure. But um, yeah, there's a few. The Amazons as well I've been listening to recently, uh, relatively new. Um, Last couple of years, they're okay. But yeah, mostly indie, mid-noughts indie for me. I'm going to give you Remind Me Tomorrow by Sharon Van Etten. There you go. Back with you next time, whenever that may be. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.